as we kind of get ready for um, receiving communion together, uh, this past week was the beginning of Lent, Ash Wednesday. Uh, if you're in, we were talking about this this past Monday at uh, the Life Group I Lead, if you're from Pennsylvania, it was also Fosnot Day. So hopefully you got your Fosnots on Tuesday, because that is our way of saying, hey, Lent's about to begin. Um, so this morning is the first Sunday of Lent. We not, we've not always done this, but I wanted to have communion together as we begin Lent, and, and it fits in well with where we're at in Matthew also, um, with Matthew writing his gospel to elicit a response from his readers. We're going to hear about varying responses to Jesus and his ministry. Matthew 11 and 12 is covering those responses. Now, I know you are good boys and girls, and you read this ahead of time because we're not reading the whole thing. Uh, but if you have read it, then you know this. If you haven't read it, you can do it later today. But what you're going to find is a different response to Jesus and his ministry and mission. And Matthew's writing this when it was first written and was distributed primarily to a Jewish audience. He's writing this because he's trying to get a response too. And so we need to respond as well to who Jesus is. Now we're responding to the whole of Scripture, to how God has revealed himself and how he's revealed himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And our act of receiving communion is a response. We are, we are making some kind of claim about who Jesus is by our response through communion. And we'll talk about that as we go through this. But first, let's see some of these responses to Jesus. Now, this is important. Matthew 11 and 12 is important as uh, Matthew is kind of setting up the scene for chapter 13. That's next week. And if you just, if you're in your Bible and you flip the two pages or a page or whatever, uh, Matthew 13 is the parable of the sower, where Jesus specifically, through some teaching, addresses different people's responses to his message. It's not changed. It's still happening. This message that goes out, many people are responding in different ways. We talked about the kind of response that the disciples should get ready for when Jesus was getting ready to send them out on this missionary adventure to proclaim the good news and to do the same things that Jesus was doing. And here in Matthew 11 and 12, we're going to see some more responses to Jesus's message and ministry. Now, we've been watching all of that. Matthew 11, 1 is a, a scene change. Matthew usually does this when he's kind of changing scenes and going from one thing to the next. We've, from Matthew 1 to up to 11, we've been kind of hearing about Jesus's ministry, this good news that he came to bring. He was teaching about it. Uh, he taught all about it, Matthew 5 through 7. He taught about it in Matthew uh, 8, when we were looking at Matthew 8. He was teaching about it in Matthew 10. And he was actually doing it. He was authenticating this message by making blind people see, people that were crippled walk again, people that were deaf hear again, people that were demon-possessed freed from that demon, people who were dead 
live again. So that is the mission and the ministry of Jesus. And now in Matthew 11 and 12, we're going to see some different responses to that. Now remember, as Matthew's writing this, he wants us, the reader, to respond in some way. So Matthew 11 says he's changing scenes here. If, if you were here last week, then you remember Jesus was teaching his disciples and getting them ready for, he was giving them the rally speech for the missionary adventure. And as we talked about, it wasn't much of a rally street speech because he basically said, get ready for everyone to hate you because of me. Now, we don't hear about how that, that journey went. Matthew 11 one says, after Jesus had finished instructing his 12 disciples, that was Matthew 10, he went from there to teach and preach in, town, in the towns of Galilee. So we're not sure how the missionary adventure went. Did they uh, get those responses? Did they get different responses? Did they do what Jesus said they would do? Matthew doesn't detail that. Apparently, he's more concerned about what Jesus had to say. Life with Jesus was going to involve faithfulness. We talked about enduring to the end and fidelity, loyalty, allegiance to him and his message. That's apparently what Matthew wanted to get across to us. So Jesus goes on from there and starts doing what he's been doing, teaching, preaching, performing miracles in the towns of Galilee. Now, this is just a reminder. This is kind of where Jesus has been hanging out, doing his ministry. And people have been responding in different ways. Those varied responses he's going to specifically teach his disciples about in Matthew 13. We actually talked about that at Life Group this past Monday. Why do people respond so different? We're all hearing this same message and yet we respond differently to that message. Well, it was happening to Jesus himself. Do you remember John the Baptist? Yes, thank you. Somebody did. <laughs> we talked about John the Baptist a while ago. Seemed like a hundred years ago. I can't believe next week's going to be March. Before you know it, it's Easter, and before you know that, it's Vacation Bible School. So get ready. Where's Sarah? She's she's ready to go with Vacation Bible School, right, Sarah? No, she's shaking her head now. Well, good good news is we got plenty of time. It is flying by. We talked about John the Baptist back in. December, January, I think, no, not December, January. But if you remember, he's a pretty important guy. Uh, he was preparing the way. He was the one who baptized Jesus. John the Baptist reappears in Matthew 11, and he's included in some of these varying responses with Jesus. Matthew is giving us, the reader, an opportunity to respond as well. What is your response to who this Jesus is? Now, at this point in Matthew 11, they're responding to how Jesus has presented himself to this point. He didn't go to the cross yet. What Matthew is going to give us, because we're going to read all of Matthew, we're edging our way towards Jerusalem, Easter Sunday, which is the story Matthew is leading us up to. So our response doesn't just contain Matthew 1 through 11, it contains all of it. And so were the first readers who got Matthew's gospel in their hand and started reading it, and they had to respond too. Matthew still, the story of Jesus found in Matthew, is still being written, is still being read 
seeking to elicit a response from you and me. And Matthew's going to talk to us about those responses, and we're going to have an opportunity to respond to this message as well. So first, let's see this John the Baptist guy. The context of 11 and 12 is these three points that I put up there. These are the responses we're going to see. And it's interesting to me that John the Baptist was even wondering and somewhat confused about Jesus. And so 11 and 12 are setting up Matthew 13. And Matthew's looking for a response to this story about Jesus. And he starts with John the Baptist, a pretty famous guy, somebody we've already been introduced to, somebody that was a big part of the very beginning of Jesus' ministry, somebody who had been prophesied about as the one who would prepare the way. He was written about in the Old Testament. Jesus has some great things to say about him, even here in Matthew 11. I'm not going to read all that for you, but we're introduced to him in this way in verse 2. If you're following along in your Bible or on the screen, when John, who was in prison, John the Baptist, was saying some things that didn't make uh, King Herod too happy, so uh, he tossed him in prison. John heard about the deeds of the Messiah. Remember, Jesus started his public ministry with John and then kind of went his own way. John eventually parted ways and now he's in jail. But he's hearing about the deeds of the Messiah. So he sent his disciples to ask him, are you the one who is to come? Or should we expect someone else? So that's the question John tells his disciples, John the Baptist's disciples, to ask Jesus. And the way it's portrayed in Matthew is not really kind of putting John in, in a great light here. Thomas is the guy that gets the bad rap for being the doubter. But John's not sure either, because everything that Jesus was doing didn't seem consistent with everything they heard about the Messiah. Like the people Jesus is going to, those down and outers, the, you've got a tax collector, Matthew, and your merry band of men, the disciples. This doesn't seem to fit with my conception of who Jesus is, who the Messiah was supposed to be. So Jesus responds to this question, tells John the Baptist's disciples to go back, and says, tell them what you've heard and seen. The blind see, the deaf hear, the lame walk, the demon-possessed are freed, the sick are healed, the kingdom of God is being proclaimed. Go back and tell John that, that message. So I... They probably did that, and we don't know what John's response was. But Jesus was calling John to respond to what he heard. The thing is, everything that Jesus was doing was not what he expected or anticipated. Everything that we read in Scripture, what Matthew is trying to do with the reader, us, is trying to elicit a response. And maybe sometimes the things that we think Jesus ought to do, the things that Jesus ought to say, the ways in which God should be and should reveal himself and operate, don't fit in our nice little box. And we struggle sometimes. We were just talking about this in the, the connection group this morning. 
talking about the way that Jesus is portrayed in the media. Some of the things that are being said about him in the most recent campaign of, and I keep forgetting the name, he gets us. That's it, right? Who was in that class? He gets us campaign. Did you see the commercial in the Super Bowl? I was like, all right, a Jesus commercial in the Super Bowl. But the thing is, they're kind of just not getting exactly who Jesus is there. Because Jesus has some harsh things to say. I got a text message about it with a, a podcast regarding it. And I text this person back and I said, well, they should read Matthew 10. Because we just did that. And here are some of the things that Jesus says. John dealt with the same thing. John the Baptist. Are you the one that we should expect or is someone else coming? He had this conception of who the Messiah would be. And it wasn't fitting. Jesus makes a lot of claims in the scriptures. God is making claims about himself, about us, about the world, about where it's headed. And it doesn't always fit in our nice boxes. And yet Matthew and really all of scripture is demanding a response from us. Do we believe who this Jesus is? It's interesting that Jesus follows up in verse 6 with the same kind of phrase he used in Matthew 5. If you've ever heard of the Beatitudes, which start, blessed is the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. And if you read the beginning of Matthew 5, it's blessed are, blessed are. And after Jesus sends John's, the Baptist disciples back to John to tell him, who he is. This is what he says to those who are still standing around. Blessed is anyone. Same language, same Matthew's using the same Greek as he's using in Matthew 5 right here. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Because a lot of people do. How are we going to respond to who this Jesus is. Now again, up to this point, we're talking about Matthew 11, but you and I, we've got the whole picture. We've got the whole story. And sometimes we look out at our world and we say, I wouldn't do that that way, God. God, why are you working that way? I don't get that. I don't understand that. I don't know if any of you have seen or watched or heard anything about the Asbury Revival down in Kentucky at Asbury College. A chapel service that began weeks ago is still going. And people are professing this is a move of the Holy Spirit. And as usual, there's this person saying this thing, this person saying this thing, this person. Now you can go on, I'm not on Twitter, but you can go on Twitter and you'll get a million different opinions about it. And here's the thing, God's going to keep working in ways that confound us. Jesus has been doing it, and in Matthew 11, John the Baptist himself had to deal with this Messiah who didn't look like the Messiah they were expecting or anticipating. 
are we still willing to respond to that Jesus? The Jesus who has revealed himself to us through the scriptures. Many of the people who have read Matthew, Matthew is writing to a group of people that are primarily Jewish that he is trying to elicit a response from. Matthew's gospel goes down through the ages throughout history to us, 21st century Christians living in Pennsylvania, Schuylkill County, and Schuylkill Haven, still needing to respond. What is our response going to be? Well, that was John the Baptist, and what we see happening next is growing opposition to Jesus. Now, in Matthew 11, we see Jesus going throughout the towns in Galilee. We heard that. I showed you a picture of the map where he was going and preaching and teaching, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom, doing all these miracles. And in verse 20 of chapter 11, Matthew says, And Jesus began to denounce the towns in which most of his miracles had been performed. A lot of Jesus' ministry was outside of Jerusalem in that northern area on that map that I showed you. Much of his ministry was, was in that area. As we get into chapter 13 of Matthew and keep kind of stepping closer and closer to Jerusalem, Matthew is giving us some teasers about this opposition. Doubt about who this Messiah is, who he claims to be, because it's blowing people's minds. He's not fitting in the box. He's not the picture they thought he was going to be. Opposition to his message. This is happening in all these towns. And Jesus is now denouncing these towns because they did not repent. He's inviting them into the kingdom of God. He is saying these things. He is performing these miracles. And what he is actually finding is opposition to this message. In fact, one of the towns that I didn't read it for you, but it was a part of the story that we shared where these demon-possessed guys came to Jesus and he cast out the demons and, and they went into this herd of pigs and those pigs went down off a cliff. And the town people there in, in, in the town... They ask Jesus to leave. They're like, please, go, go somewhere else. Jesus makes a statement about even in his hometown, he couldn't do much because of people's lack of faith. And again, he kind of conjures up a well-known town, Sodom and Gomorrah, and some well-known cities, Tyre and Sidon, and how evil and horrible they were. And if they would have seen what I've done, they would have repented long ago. So we see growing opposition to Jesus' mission and message. And this rejection of Jesus, which is the worst thing someone can do, is reject the Son of God. Because in Jesus and Jesus alone, life is found. Same thing happens today. Jesus' mission and message, I think, is clear throughout Scripture. And that's what we have to deal with. This is the person Jesus says, you've got to deal with these things that I'm saying. And today we still experience many people, in fact, churches, who are responding in a way that isn't consistent with what Jesus 
is calling us to respond to, this invitation that he is making. And so you can read about what happens to those who don't repent, that's turn from one way of life and turn to another. Jesus is offering them something. He called it good news. It's an invitation. And to those who would receive that good news, to those who would respond to that invitation, he has these words. When he goes from town to town, this mission and ministry is saying, come to me, all who are weary and burdened. This is Matthew 11, verse 28. And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, and I, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy, and my burden is light. Jesus is offering us something that the world can't offer us. In Jesus' day, that following the law can't give you. The brokenness that we experience, the pain, the evil that exists, there's only one place where you can be freed, lifted out of it, where those chains can be broken. And Jesus is saying, it's him and him alone. I don't know what you put your hope and your faith in, but if it's apart from Jesus, it's like that sand, that house that was built on sand, it'll just crumble. It'll just crumble to the ground when that storm hits. So Jesus is experiencing this opposition in these towns, but he provides this little message about those who do come to him and what they experience. See, the Pharisees were putting a load on these people. Keep this law, keep that law, keep this law, keep that law. In chapter 12, we're about to hear about the Sabbath and keeping the Sabbath and all the ins and outs of keeping the Sabbath. And this great weight that was put on all these people. And Jesus, in his kingdom, is offering something different. But it takes a response. Repentance means you've got to respond. Because it's literally saying you're walking one way and you turn and you walk a different way. You are responding to Jesus' message. But what Matthew is giving us is a picture of many who are not responding to his mission and his ministry. This lack of response is growing in intensity. And actually the crowd is getting, starting to get hostile to who Jesus claims to be, his mission and his ministry. And that happens in chapter 12. Well, Matthew kind of for the first time sets up, foreshadows what's going to be happening as Jesus makes his way to Jerusalem. There's hostility towards Jesus because of what he has to say. It begins in chapter 12 with a conversation about the Sabbath, which was a big deal to the Jews. And they did something you weren't supposed to do on the Sabbath. They were picking grain because they were hungry. And Jesus and disciples were doing that. And Jesus is challenged by that, by the Pharisees. 
This is part of Jesus' ministry. He's teaching them. He's talking about who he is as the Messiah, that he is Lord of the Sabbath. But he's then addressed by the religious leaders when he goes to the synagogue. Going from that place, they were just in the field picking the grain. Religious leaders didn't like it. Going from that place, he went to the synagogue. And in the synagogue, like we would be gathered here today like this, there's a man that was there. And his hand was shriveled. Looking for a reason to bring charges against Jesus, they asked him, these are the religious leaders, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? They're trying to trap Jesus. And he said to them, if any of you has a sheep and it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will you not take hold of it and lift it out? How much more valuable is a person than a sheep? Therefore, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Jesus is making the claim that he has the authority to tell these religious leaders what is lawful and, not, and, and what is not lawful based on his own authority. This was part of the problem. What are you basing your authority on, Jesus? Jesus is basing this authority on who he is, God's son. So he says, yes, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. So then Jesus goes up to this man like we're sitting here. Imagine somebody being, can't move his hand, crippled. Jesus just walking up to him. Stretch out your hand, Jesus says. And so he stretched out his hand. And it was completely restored, just like his other one. And what kind of response should that give? Here's the response of the religious leaders. After that moment, the Pharisees went out and they plotted how they might kill Jesus. Seems like a weird response. But people are still responding in hatred and persecution simply because I love Jesus. Depending on where you live, that can get you thrown in jail. Just going, I could go out to the street corner and just say, I love Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Could get you tossed in jail. Maybe some of you have friends or family. That kind of statement elicits a weird response to your love for Jesus. Matthew, to the first readers of his gospel, wants them to respond to who Jesus claims to be. Really, that's what we're doing here. When we receive communion, we are responding to the story of Jesus, really to the story that God has written, the story of redemption that has started all the way back in Genesis and concludes in Revelation, but comes to this climactic point in the person of Jesus Christ. And the scriptures reveal that he and he alone could atone for our sins, could make us right with God, and that through his sacrificial death, we are reconciled to him. We are forgiven. We are redeemed. That is what the scriptures tell us. That is what we have to respond to. When we receive communion, we are saying, yes, God, I do believe this. 
I do believe that I need to turn. See, communion is actually an invitation too. It's God's table, and he's inviting you to it. Now, now we're not literally coming to a table, but that's what, what is happening. He's the host at this supper. But we have to respond. Turning from our rebellion and sin towards God. The very thing that separates us from him. Jesus invites us to let all that go. And turn to him. And receive life. And grace. And mercy. This very simple thing. We're just going to eat a little piece of bread. And we're going to drink some, I don't know if it's Welch's or not, grape juice. This simple act, God again tells us you will experience grace. Because Jesus went to the cross for you. See, Matthew wants to elicit a response from the reader. And Jesus invites you and me back to his table as sinners in need of grace. And when we come to that table, what we come and what we're saying to God in our response is saying that Jesus has atoned for my sins and your sins and for the sin of the world. And that because he has done that for us, Though we recognize we deserve it, though we recognize our own rebellion, he has done that for us that we might be reconciled to God. So now you're no longer under condemnation. You're no longer under judgment. But you are embraced as God's son, as God's daughter. That's what communion is. It's a response to this mission and ministry of Jesus. That he goes out into the world and says, For God so loved the world, he sent his only son, that none should perish but have eternal life in him. And he has not sent his son to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. You and I have a chance to respond to that mission and message today. When you receive communion this morning, we're going to sing a song here in just a minute called Living Hope. There's lots of varying responses to Jesus out in our world. And maybe you've had a varying response to Jesus even as you walked in here today. Jesus invites you back to his table to respond to him as Lord and Savior, because that's who he is. That's who he re revealed himself to be. And so when you receive this bread and this cup, rather than receiving death, we experience life. Matthew's story is heading that way. He offers us a living hope. Death no longer has its hold over us. Sin no longer has its hold over us. Satan can no longer bind us. 
your response at communion is saying, yes, Jesus, I believe this about you. I'm going to ask the worship team to come up to prepare our hearts for communion. As they come forward, let me just pray for us. God, this morning as we come into this place and hear Matthew's words and the fact that as he tells this story, we read about varying responses. But as he tells this story, Lord God, he is looking for a response from us as well. And so, God, as we prepare our hearts for communion by singing together, being reminded of who Jesus has revealed himself to be, I, I pray, Lord, that as we receive this bread and cup, you might remind us of the gift that you've given to us, that when we take this bread, when we drink this juice, Lord, God, that we experience and are reminded that you have atoned for our sin, my sin, that put Jesus on that cross, the sin of the world that put Jesus on that cross, that Jesus willingly, in our stead, took that punishment for us. And because of his sacrificial death, we have life. We are reconciled to you. And so, God, as we sing this song together and we take communion, I pray, your spirit would work in our hearts, in our minds, reminding us of this grace given to us through your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen.